Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. Hi, this is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Practice Hack of the Week. Whether it's the second grade spelling bee, a little league game, or youth orchestra rehearsal, most of us have had one of those traumatizing moments where a teacher, coach, or conductor called us out in front of our peers. For me, it was an orchestra rehearsal in high school, where the conductor made each stand play the same difficult passage one at a time to make it crystal clear which players were the problem as the rest of the orchestra watched and listened. It was pretty humiliating, and for some time afterwards, I got way more nervous for orchestra rehearsals than performances. Whether a culture of fear is created intentionally or not, moments like this can stick with us for years, affect how we feel about performing, and even lead us to quit something we might care deeply about. A 1992 Little League study, for instance, found that young athletes who played for coaches who didn't receive training on how to create effective coach-athlete relationships were five times more likely to quit the team at the end of a season. It'd be nice if we were always surrounded by supportive conductors, teachers, and colleagues, but that's not something we can control. So whether it's a prickly stand partner or a curmudgeonly conductor, is there anything we can do to shield ourselves or ease our poor, frazzled nerves in such stressful situations? And no, that's not the answer if you're thinking what I think you're thinking. A team of researchers at the University of Kansas recruited 38 students to participate in a 30-minute training session on juggling. Before the training session, however, they were randomly assigned to one of two groups. One group received a 12-minute lesson on the history of sports psychology, while the others, the experimental group, received a 12-minute overview of the research on optimizing motivation in sports. Specifically, they learned about three different types of motivational climates that coaches, teachers, and parents can create. One was the ego-involving climate, which puts a premium on winning and performing better than others, where mistakes are a huge no-no. The second was the task-involving climate, where effort, growth, and mastery are the key priorities, and mistakes are seen as being an inevitable part of the learning process. Third climate is known as the caring climate, where individuals are valued, respected, and made to feel safe, not just with teachers and coaches, but amongst peers as well. Those who receive a combination of the latter two climates, task and caring, tend to report greater enjoyment of the activity, but perhaps more importantly, they seem to put in more effort and experience less anxiety as well. The ego climate, on the other hand, tends to lower an individual's self-esteem, reduce motivation, 
and lead to a state of chronic stress. Meaning, the stress doesn't just kick in during a particularly harrowing orchestra rehearsal, but it continues to linger long afterwards, on the drive home, while making dinner, watering the cacti, and even with a pint of Ben & Jerry's chocolate chip cookie dough in hand. Given how crappy it feels to be in a constant state of stress, not to mention the potential health consequences, the researchers were curious to see if an awareness of these climates might help individuals be more resilient in the face of an ego-involving training session. So that's exactly what the students experienced in their juggling training. It all began with an icebreaker activity where each participant was asked to share their greatest sports achievement. Because there's nothing like a little humble bragging to foster a competitive eco-climate, right? And to really drive this message home, instructors responded more favorably to those with more impressive accomplishments, making it clear that they valued athletic ability above all else. After a little bit of instruction, participants were given some time to practice and were then ranked from 1 best to 10 worst, based on their juggling ability alone. Next, everyone was asked to perform their new skill for 30 seconds, one by one, in front of the whole group, and re-ranked according to this performance. All the while, instructors encouraged participants to compete and compare themselves with each other, and praised only the better-performing individuals in the group. The worst-performing students were mostly ignored and left alone. The participants took an anxiety assessment before and after the session and provided saliva samples before and at various points after the session to measure any changes in their cortisol levels, a hormone that's one of the key markers of stress. The training session increased anxiety for participants in both groups, but there was a significant difference in their cortisol response. The control group's cortisol levels shot up during the training session and stayed elevated for some time following the session. Meanwhile, the cortisol level of the group, which learned about motivational climates, stayed pretty much unchanged throughout. In other words, the short primer on ego versus task-oriented motivation seemed to buffer their stress response, protecting them from the after-effects of an anxiety-provoking training session. On one hand, the study seems to reinforce the value of cultivating a task-oriented culture in one's teaching studio, chamber music group, or orchestra, and the importance of constantly reminding ourselves to focus more on growth and learning as opposed to winning and losing in our own practice and performing. But more importantly, I think the study highlights the benefit of teaching young students about these different types of goal orientations and climates, so they can be better prepared to deal with an ego-based climate when they inevitably encounter one. After all, if they can recognize it as such and see it for what it is, perhaps they'll be able to get through it more confidently without misinterpreting the situation to mean that they're somehow inferior or weak or not cut out for music or performing or leadership and so forth. But is this kinder, gentler approach compatible with winning and maximizing performance, or does it mean settling for less? Not at all, as it turns out. The task and caring approach is not about lowering standards or expectations or doling out praise when performance falls short. It's about combining our highest expectations for effort, focus, and the pursuit of excellence while demonstrating a genuine appreciation for the person in front of you, especially on those days when things just don't seem to be working out. 